Therefore I make known to you, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. As we take a look this morning, and we're going to be discussing what's commonly called the gifts of the Spirit. And if you remember last week, we kind of broke that down a little bit. You remember as we, as we read in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts. That word gifts is the word charisma. It's used again in Romans chapter 12. These are the gifts of the Spirit. And he lists out a list of gifts in that particular place. We saw the next verse in verse 5. There are differences of ministry. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, right? And God gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. And remember, as we talked about these things, we said we're not talking about titles, We're not talking about someone who wants to bear the title apostle, the title prophet. What we're talking about is that area of ministry. Romans chapter 12 lays out for us gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 lays out for us the ministries. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 lays out for us the energy. The word is energmata. It is that same idea, the activity, the empowering of God to do the work of the ministry. Folks, here's the point. The point and the purpose as we study the gifts of the Spirit would be to understand the gifts of the Spirit are not given for our own private use. The gifts of the Spirit are not given so that we can, in one way or another, uh, have our name raised up in lights or, or to receive acknowledgement for ourselves. That goes against the very work of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit does what? Points to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he said, hey, when that Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you utterance. You don't have to worry about what you should say, when you should say it. The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance those things that I have told you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the gifts, the ministries, and energies of the Holy Spirit, that's the way they will always work. God has given to each one, the scripture said, we read it last week, a gift. If you look at Romans chapter 12, I'm not going to try to tell you that every gift that God has to give is listed there, but I will say every person has a gift, given at least one, given by God. And it will find its fulfillment or its fruitfulness when utilized within a ministry given in Ephesians chapter 4. Well, Jackie, what are you talking about? There's no apostles anymore. You're right. There's no apostles. But what does the word apostle mean? To be sent out. Well, there are those who are sent out. Today we call them missionaries, don't we? Missionaries is someone that would fulfill the role of 
or the ministry of an apostle. What about prophets? Jackie, there's, there's no prophets. The Bible tells John the Baptist was the last prophet. Sure, there's not the office. Again, we're not talking about titles, right? We're talking about fulfilling that ministry. What was the ministry of the prophet? We're going to study today as we look at what the Old Testament prophet did and what the New Testament prophets did. And what they did was instruct the people according to God's word. They instructed the people according to God's word. And many times they were speaking forth a word from the Lord. Other times they were foretelling a work that God was going to do. Does that still exist within the church? Sure it does. We're not looking at the office. We're looking at the ministry. We're looking at the ministry of the evangelist. Well, the evangelist is easy to see. Folks, anybody who has the gift of encouragement, anybody who has the gift of helps, comes alongside their neighbor and invites them to church. Aren't they fulfilling the ministry of an evangelist? Sure they are. Well, what about a, what about a pastor? What about a woman, an older woman who comes alongside a younger woman and helps guide her and lead her in how to be a, a better mother or a better wife, to be her mentor? Isn't she fulfilling the work of a shepherd? Isn't that what pastoring is all about? Am I talking about titles? No. I'm talking about ministry. I'm talking about reality. Not getting hung up on what someone is called, but realizing the work that's being done. And teacher, that's an easy one for us to understand. So when we look, guys, at the gifts of the Spirit, Romans 12, and the ministry of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the energizing of the Holy Spirit working in conjunction with the gift and the ministry finds its fulfillment. Okay, it's not about whatever other things other folks may think it's about. That's what the scripture is laying out for us. That's what the word of God is telling us. So we made it all the way through, I think, verse 6 or or 7. We won't make it that far today. So you have been duly warned. But as we take a look, we're going to begin as we go through. I want to take a look at each one of these energies or each one of these gifts that the Scripture talks about, working in conjunction with the power of the Holy Spirit and in a ministry, what, what that looks like. What do these things look like? What are they all about? So we're going to take a look at them as we go through. It begins in verse 8. He says, Now, to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. The word of wisdom. Now, guys, when we look at New Testament concepts, we need to realize that they're, that they're, we're going to see pictures of them. We're going to see the realities of them sometimes throughout the Old Testament. Think about word of wisdom. What's a word of wisdom about? Well, the Greek word is logosophia. It doesn't mean a, a reservoir of, of wisdom that you tap into whenever you want. It's speaking of a time, a wisdom that God has given you for a specific time and a specific purpose. That word of wisdom. Sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll have that. We see in the Old Testament and in the ministry of Elisha. Sometimes you don't. It's all on how God wills to give it, right? But when we look at this gift, I'm reminded that the scripture tells us that one of the things that the word of wisdom will be used for is defense before a hostile crowd. Remember Jesus said, you're going to be brought before governors. You're going to be brought before the rulers in my name. They're going to think that they're doing God a service by persecuting you. But Jesus said, don't worry what you will answer in that time. The Holy Spirit 
will give you the words. Folks, we see that fulfilled in the life of Stephen, don't we? If you got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 7, and we'll take a look. Acts chapter 7, guys, is one of the greatest commentaries on the Old Testament given by a man named Stephen who was chosen as a deacon in his church because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And while he was full of the Holy Spirit, God began to broaden his ministry. It began as a deacon, but it began to grow. Pretty soon, Stephen's out sharing the word. He's doing the work of an evangelist. Comes to the attention of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin accuse him. They bring him up before the Sanhedrin to accuse him. And all of chapter 7 is this message that Stephen speaks to the Sanhedrin. Full of the Holy Spirit, and it is all a word of wisdom. God gave him... This word of wisdom, specific purpose, specific time. If we look at verse 51, we'll see the end of this this, uh, dissertation that Stephen has given. Beginning in verse 51, he says, Now you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. See, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and God gave to him a word of wisdom. He, he did the work. He did the work of a prophet. He did the work of, of an apostle. He did the work in ministry using the energy given by God and the word of wisdom. God gave him the words that he shared. And Stephen was filled with the Spirit and spoke those words. An example of what uh, a word of wisdom is all about. Well, there's other ideas of words of wisdom. They're sometimes a solution to a particular problem. Have you ever been in a situation where a problem is facing you and, and you need some kind of solution for that problem? And sometimes, no matter how we mull over the issue, we can't come up with a solution. Well, we see the exact same thing happen in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, remember the story. The Hellenistic widows were were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So they brought up this to the apostles. They said, hey, man, this ain't right. And the apostles said, we're not going to leave this place of prayer and study of the word to wait on tables. So you choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit. And they chose seven men, and it seemed right in everyone's eyes. What was that? Word of wisdom. Word of wisdom. You know, sometimes, guys, we'll see the Holy Spirit work supernaturally, yet it seems so natural. It seems so natural. Because that's how God moves. That's how God works. It's not always the fireworks, is it? When Elijah was depressed and he ran from God and he hid in a cave and he was ready to give up. He was ready to say, forget this. I'm done. I'm not doing anything for the Lord anymore. This is too hard. 
God came to him. You remember, God came to him in that place and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah said, I've been so faithful and I'm the only one left. And God said, you're not the only one left. You're not the only one. I have thousands of others. Why are you here, Elijah? And God came to Elijah and he came to him in the wind, this mighty wind. But it says God wasn't in the wind. He came in the storm, the lightning and the thunder, but God wasn't in the lightning and the thunder. He came in this fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then how did he come to him? The still, small voice. That's where God was. In the still, small voice. I'm not trying to say that God doesn't work in the miraculous. We'll see that as we go through. But I want you to begin to realize and see with your eyes that the energies of God, the gifts of the Spirit, will flow naturally through the things that we do. When we live our lives submitted and committed to God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and will empower us to do what He has called us to do. Have you ever felt like God's called me to do something, but He hasn't given me what I need to complete it? When we feel that way, when we're caught in that place, there's a couple of things that we want to remember. One, the Scriptures say you have not because you ask not. And that we can receive the overflowing, the empowering of the Holy Spirit simply by asking, Lord, fill me to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. God wants to answer that prayer. But the other thing that we need to recognize and we need to realize, oftentimes we're crying out, Lord, fill me. Lord, take, take more of me. But the problem is, we got this mask on our face of holiness. And in the meantime, we got in our back pocket a big old load of sin. And we're just going to pretend it's not there. We're going to pretend that I'm not caught up in this issue or I'm not doing this thing. I'm not going to confess it. I'm not going to bring it before the Lord. I'm just going to pretend it's no big deal. And then I'm going to cry out to God, Lord, where are you? And all the while, God is crying out to you, hey, we need to take care of this issue. We need to take care of this issue because, folks, God calls us to holiness. God, not to perfection. Understand the difference. We're not to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But he calls us to be set apart. To be different. We're going to turn our back on some of those, those old things, those old habits. What does the scripture tell us? It says, lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares you and run the race laid out before you with endurance. Sometimes we've got to set aside those weights. Sometimes we've got, we got to confess that sin and receive his forgiveness and move forward. We can all come to church on a Sunday morning, can't we? And we look good. But I promise you, not everybody in here feels like the smiling face that's behind the mask. We're dealing with things. We've got stuff going on in our lives. And we want to allow those things that are happening in our life. We want to surrender those to the Lord. Receive forgiveness. Receive His healing. Receive all that God has for us. But we can't just pretend they're not there. They're there. It's okay. It's okay. We confess. We cast off. We move forward. And God's always there to meet us. Always there in that place. 
The Lord wants to grant us these gifts that we're looking at. The word of wisdom. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 15, you'll see a fellow named James. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who doesn't even believe until Jesus is raised from the dead. He becomes a pillar of the church. He becomes a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. And as a pillar of that church, Gentiles begin to get saved and they don't know what to do about it. What should we do for the Gentiles? I mean, do the Gentiles have to keep the feast days? Do Gentiles have to, to do the sacrifices? What kind of things? What, what does it mean for a Gentile to be saved? In Acts chapter 15, as they're trying to work their way through the, the reality of these things that have taken place within the church, James is going to stand up and James is going to share. He's going to share <clears throat> wisdom and he's going to lay out for, for the church a letter. And here's what the letter says. Beginning in chapter 15, verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Says the whole church agreed. The whole church saw it and said, yes. What is that? Word of wisdom. A word of wisdom came through James, the brother of Jesus, as the pastor of that flock, as a shepherd of that flock. He shared that word. The people received it with gladness. They said, yes, that's right. That's how it should be. And the problem was solved. A word of wisdom. A word of wisdom. In our own lives, in, in, in our own times, there have been times... Kathy and I were dealing with issues, things that we're struggling with, things that we're trying to, to understand. What does the book of James tell us to do? If any of you lacks wisdom, what? Ask. Ask. Not ask as a double-minded man that's unstable in all his ways. What is that? Careful study of the Greek in there indicates a double-minded man is a man who made up his mind and went to God already. What he wants us to do what he is calling for us to do is before we made our plans, before we make our decisions, before we've come to the solution, we pray, God, give me wisdom. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he may speak a word of wisdom. The scripture says in James, he'll give it to you. If you ask, he'll give it. For those situations that we face, that we may be able to overcome those things that are going on in our life. Well, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we, as we continue to take a look at these gifts, he says, Now to one given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Logos genosis. The word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is, again, not a reservoir of knowledge, but a specific knowledge that you couldn't have known by yourself, spoken to your heart by the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's so many examples of the word of knowledge in the Scripture, especially in the life of Jesus, isn't there? I mean, remember the woman caught in the act of adultery brought to him? They've got him, they think they've got him impaled on the horns of dilemma, right? If he sides with the law, the people will realize he doesn't care about the sinner. If he sides with the sinner will realize he doesn't care about the law. And no matter what he does, he's wrong. So what did Jesus? He spoke a word of knowledge. Remember what he said? 
Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Boom. Oh, there's no horns of dilemma there. Jesus turned it around. In a word of knowledge, Jesus spoke, and it, and it, was, and it was dealt with. Well, what else? Think about Jesus and the woman of the well. Jesus is talking to the woman of the well in John chapter 4. And he's laying out the, 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 he, this, this concept of living water, and, and she starts to get a little bit off track, and Jesus says to her, well, go get your husband and bring him here. And you remember what she said? Oh, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, oh, you spoke truly. You don't have a husband. You've had five of them, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What is that? Word of knowledge. A word of knowledge. We see it in Jesus' life. That's not shocking. What about in the Old Testament? Are there any examples of a word of knowledge in the Old Testament? Do you guys remember the story of Elisha and Ben-Hadad? If you, if you want to turn there, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, they have this, this story. The story is that King Ben-Hadad was at war against Israel and Samaria. And as he's going to war against them, he'd make these plans, and he'd begin to move to attack. And the scripture says Elisha would tell the king of Israel, Hey, Ben-Hadad is coming, and these are his plans. And the king of Israel would foil his plans. And the Bible says it didn't happen just once. It happened over and over and over again. It happened so often that King Ben-Hadad, he said, listen, he gathered all these people together and said, which one of you is for Israel? Because one of you keeps telling them what we're doing. One of you is a spy. One of you is, is sharing the plans that we have. Well, the scripture tells us in verse 8 of chapter 6, as the king of Syria made war against Israel, he consulted his servants. He said, my camp is in such and such a place. And the man of God said to the king of Israel, said, beware that you don't pass this place for the Syrians are coming there. And the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. And thus he warned him. And he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king the words you speak in your bedroom. Even the words that he speaks in his bedroom. He's like, hey, Elisha knows everything you're going to do before you do it. What is that? It's a word of knowledge. Elisha wasn't there. Elisha couldn't have heard. Who told him? The spirit. The Spirit of God energized Elisha to fulfill the ministry of a prophet and gave to him the word of knowledge. Ultimately, the king is going to come against Elisha. You guys remember the story, right? They surround Elisha. And Elisha's servant, he gets up and he looks outside and he goes, Man, there's so many guys. Elisha, wake up. We're in trouble, bro. That's paraphrased, by the way. <laughs> We're in trouble. And Elisha, he's all mellow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen those guys out there. Why are you so mellow? He said, listen, Lord, open his eyes so that he would see those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And his servant went back outside and looked, and you know what he saw? The armies of the Lord encamped around about him. So what happened? God struck that entire army with blindness. 
Elisha went over and grabbed the reins of the horse and walked them to the king of Israel, at which time he prayed and blindness left them. What a drag, man. I think I'm going to wipe out Elisha. Next thing I know, Elisha by himself has led the entire army to the king of Israel to give them to him. How was that accomplished? Word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. The energy of the Holy Spirit working through the life of a believer fulfilling the ministry for which he had been called. That's how the gifts of the Spirit, Spirit work out practically in our life. Well, there's, there's other examples. For example, when, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, you guys remember, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And the disciples, they all began to answer. Oh, some say the prophet, some say Elisha, some say John the Baptist. And then Jesus said what? You remember? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him in that place. Peter answered him and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And listen to what Jesus said to Peter. So Peter, so Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. What is he talking about? A word of knowledge. He received a word of knowledge. It's not flesh and blood. It's not his own intellect. It's not because Peter was so smart. The Holy Spirit laid this upon his heart. What about Peter? Another example. Peter, Ananias, and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. Remember the story? Ananias and Sapphira pretend to sell their land for a certain amount and give it all to the Lord. Because Barnabas had done that earlier. They wanted to get in on the glory. So they do it, but they're lying. They're pretending to give it all, but they're only given part. In Acts chapter 5, you remember Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Not only attributing deity to the Holy Spirit, but what is he using? Word of knowledge. He's fulfilling the office, in his case, of an apostle, of a pastor, of a teacher, of a shepherd for the flock, and using the energy given to him by the Holy Spirit in a word of knowledge. How could he know Ananias was lying? How could he know that except the Spirit speaks it to him? It's working naturally through the ministry that's being fulfilled by the gift that was given in the Holy Spirit in Peter's life. And we see the word of knowledge being utilized. We see the word of wisdom being utilized. But then the scripture goes on in verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Well, let's take a look at faith. What kind of faith are we talking about, folks? <clears throat> this is not saving faith. Although, isn't saving faith a gift? For we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. So even saving faith is a gift. But in this particular place, what we're looking for is something more. This is a different kind of faith. In fact, this is one of the ways this faith has been defined. And I wanted to share it with you. To trust in God in the extreme. To have an unshakable trust that God will do the remarkable. The Spirit-given ability to see what God wants done 
and the ability to sustain unwavering confidence in the sight of obstacles. The gift of faith. It's interesting because you go to Germany and one of the cellars in an old farmhouse where they used to hide Jews during the Holocaust, they found this inscribed on the walls. There was a star of David and then there was this quote placed beneath it. I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love even when it is not shown. And I believe in God even when He does not speak. Gift of faith. The gift of faith. Where do we see this? Gift of faith worked out. One of the greatest places we see it, guys, and one of the the biggest scriptures of hope for us is Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Remember there was this fellow who was crippled who every day of his life was laid down by the gate beautiful. You know what that tells me? That Jesus walked by him and didn't heal him. Now, Jesus, he does over 41 specific healings in his ministry, not including the times where it just says, and they were all healed. So there's no way to count them. 41 specific healings that Jesus did in his ministry, more than anybody else. Why? Because he was the Messiah. The Mes- he was fulfilling prophecy by what he did. But this man, Jesus walked by and didn't heal him. I wonder what this man thought of that. I mean, he's lame. I'm sure he's heard about Jesus. I'm sure he's seen Jesus doing all these other healings, but yet he'll walk by me. And he didn't bring his healing. What's the matter with me? But in Acts chapter 3, we discover why. In Acts chapter 3, beginning around verse 12, Peter and John are going to the temple. And as they walk by through the gate beautiful, they see this guy. And suddenly it says, So when Peter saw him, he res- uh, or, or, I'm sorry, in verse, uh, verse 4, not 12 yet. Verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him, John and Peter... They said, look at us. So he gave them his attention for what? Expecting to receive something from them. What was he expecting to receive? What was he doing? He's begging. He's begging, expecting to receive money. And Peter said to him, silver and gold, I do not have. But such as I have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took his hand and he lifted him up. You don't think that's faith? And that's some faith. Whose faith was it? Peter's. Peter's. The one praying. Peter had faith. What did he do? He reached over. He said, hey, why? Was it it just something that he just decided to do? Or was it the empowerment of the Holy Spirit filling his heart, working within the ministry of an apostle, of a pastor, of a teacher, going forward, touching this man's life, and knowing, even though he sees this guy's twisted legs, even though he sees an obstacle, knowing that I'm supposed to lift this man up. And when he lifted him up, what happened? His legs were healed. He was made whole. And he went walking and leaping and praising God, right? But then look at verse 12. And all the people begin to look at Peter and John. So when Peter saw it, he responded, Men of Israel... Why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Gift of faith. Worked out in the life of ministry, serving the Lord, energizing to accomplish a goal that God had laid forth from the foundation of the world. That gift, that empowerment coming through, working through. That gift of faith, guys, will always work within the will of God and in accordance to the Word of God. It will always work according to the will of God and in accordance with the Word of God. Do we understand all of God's ways? No. His ways are higher than our ways, aren't they? They're they're beyond our ability to fully understand and recognize. So in, in every challenge or obstacle that lays before us, the question is, do we trust God? We trust Him. We trust Him. We trust that as we work, as we're called, as He leads us in ministry, He will give us the gifts we need when we need them to accomplish the work He's calling us to do. Isn't that what He did here? Isn't that the work that He accomplished through uh, faith in the lives of Peter and John. And we see it in other places as well. But listen, we're going to move on. Now the next thing he says, the gift of faith, and then the gifts of healings. You notice that it's plural. And it's not the gift of a healer. It's a gift of healings. It's a work that God does. It's a work that God does in the life of, of his people. For his purpose. Where do we see it begin in the first place? Well, guys, we see it in the life of the prophets, don't we? Elijah. Remember Elijah and the widow, the widow of Nain, the widow who had given him a, a little cake. And her son died and Elijah went and prayed for him, laid over him and prayed and God raised him from the dead. A healing. That's pretty good healing, isn't it? What about Elisha the prophet? Didn't he do the exact same thing? Fulfilling the ministry of a prophet, energized by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing. Did they heal everyone they saw? No. Who did they heal? The ones God laid out before them. God is the one that gives these gifts. For what? The prophet of all. He gives the gifts... For the profit of all. We talked already about Jesus. 41 healings of note. Over a fifth of the gospel are healings. Jesus, can you think of anyone Jesus didn't heal? Jesus healed people right one time. A, a, a funeral procession is walking out of the city. They bump into Jesus. It's not a funeral procession anymore. He raises the dead. A leper needs to be cleansed. Jesus heals him, touches him, makes him whole. We see a man born blind. We see Jesus give him sight. We see Jesus doing all these works. Now, 
What was the purpose of the gifts of healing? Well, in Jesus' life, they authenticated his ministry, didn't they? They authenticated Jesus was who he said he was. The scripture said that following the Messiah would be healings. Healings would take place. That they would be a part of his ministry. So, in Jesus' life, we see him like in none other. Because that was part of the authentication of him as a Messiah. If you will, it's a, it's a preview of coming attractions, right? What's Revelation 21 say? God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. That's our future. So as a preview of coming attractions... Jesus shows us healing in his ministry. He also shows us healing because of compassion. Over and over again in the scripture it says, and he was filled with compassion for the people. And he healed them because he loved them. But why aren't all people healed? All people are not healed because God is sovereign. He gives the gifts, the energies, the workings of God For the profit of all. He sees more than we see. Folks, I'm right there with you. I have prayed for people to be healed. I thought it would be an incredible opportunity of God to heal. And Him not do it. But I also want you to know, I have prayed for healing. And I have seen the Spirit of God heal. We had a little baby brought up to us when we were at JS. Going in for surgery the next day. They're just praying that surgery goes well. The baby was having eye surgery. There was something wrong with his eyes. They brought him up. We anointed him with oil. We prayed for him. And while we prayed, we prayed that that God would heal. That God would heal him and they'd go the next day and not even have to have surgery. Now, I prayed that before and God said no. But this time he didn't say no. The baby got there and the doctor was getting ready to, to wheel the baby in and it began to look at some of the, the x-rays and things or whatever they were taking prior to surgery. And he asked the parents, he said, did, did you guys already have the surgery? And they said, no, no, it was scheduled for today. He says, well, I'm not operating on this baby's eyes are fine. And the baby went home. But folks, it's not all the time. And let me tell you something. The, the world of... TV evangelist does a great disservice to the body of Christ when they blame a healing on a lack of faith from the person that seeks the healing. Because in Acts chapter 3, who had the faith? Peter and John was their faith. Well, later on, guys, there are other places where the faith was in the person who was being healed. Why is that? Because God works in a variety of ways. He works differently in people's lives so that we wouldn't put them in a box. Because if God worked the same way all the time, then we would wear the same clothes every time we prayed for somebody. So, oh, I pray. last time I prayed for somebody they were healed, I was wearing this other shirt. It's the, it's the healing shirt. If I wear the healing shirt, then they're going to be healed. It has nothing to do with that. God is sovereign. And He works these gifts in the lives of believers as he sees fit, as he wants to. 
work them through. We need to realize God is sovereign. Scripture goes on in verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. <coughs> Excuse me. What is the gift of miracles? The word is energemata dynamas. It's the same word you get dynamite. The energy or the power, uh, dynamic power. It's a working of dynamic power in the lives of believers. Well, what do we see in the world today? There's three mistakes that take place when people look at a miracle. They overnaturalize. They'll say, well, you know, the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea because the wind was blowing really hard. And they weren't really crossing the Red Sea. They were crossing the Reed Sea. And the wind blew hard enough so that it was only 18 inches deep. And so they walked across. But you know, every time you overnaturalize, you have another problem, right? Because all of Pharaoh's armies were drowned in the same water. So if they walked across in 18 inches, then a whole army somehow drowned in 18 inches of water. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. It doesn't work when you overnaturalize. Well, the other mistake that people make is they, they dismiss. We'll put more faith in man's ability than we will in God's ability as sovereign. We, we believe that man can make a submarine that weighs 30 ton or more, fill it full of people, put it at the bottom of the ocean floor, drive around down there without no windows. How do they know where they're going? They just follow radar. They drive that submarine around and do their thing. We got all kind of faith in that, right? But we don't believe Jesus walked on the water. The one who, by his word, spoke all things into being. It's funny, I actually read one guy dismisses Jesus walking on, on the water because the storm was so hard that, that it had blown the disciples' boat all the way to the shore and they didn't realize it. And so Jesus came walking up to them on the shore and they thought he was walking on the water. But remember I told you when you do that kind of stuff you have other problems? Because you remember what happened next? Peter said, Lord, if you bid me come, I'll come walk on the water. Well, if he was on the beach, how in the world did Peter sink? He'd have jumped out and been trucking along on the beach with Jesus. He wouldn't have sunk. But the Bible says he saw the waves and he began to what? Sink. Jesus picked him up. So you can't overnaturalize. You can't dismiss. But the other mistake is people hype. You guys ever get those emails that say you're going to get a daily miracle? You ever think about that phrase, a daily miracle? If you get a miracle every day, it kind of ruins the definition of a miracle. Miracles are not everyday happenings. They're those special workings of power. What's the reality? The reality is this. God has a divine work, a divine purpose, and divine power. We spoke last time. The gift is not the goal. It is the gateway. What is the goal? The goal is to build up, to stir up, and to cheer up. So why are there miracles? Guys, in the Bible, miracles existed for two reasons. One, to show God's redemption and power. And secondly, to show God's representative. Think of it. Moses was God's deliverer. How did God show Moses as his deliverer? He was attested by signs and wonders, miracles. He, he turned the Nile 
into blood. He, he did, brought the ten plagues. He, he, they crossed the Red Sea. A, a variety of miracles that God worked through them. But what else was the point of those miracles? To show God's redemption. God's ability to save. Why is that important? Guys, if we know, we've talked about this before. If we know at any moment God could say, peace be still, and it all stops, I can take one more step. I can go one more day. I have the ability to, to, to face one more challenge. Why? Because I know God's done it in the past, and I believe he can do it in the future. And over all of that, I trust him no matter what he does. I have faith because I know he's done it in the past. He can do it in the future. And I trust him. I trust him for that which we face. I trust him with the things that are going on in our life. Well, the Bible's full of miracles, isn't it? Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus. We see God doing all these incredible things. Jesus says it delivered, born of a virgin, turned water into wine, fed the 5,000, walked on water, raised the dead, was resurrected himself and ascended into heaven. I mean, that's, that's a lot of pretty incredible miracles. It authenticated the ministry. Well, what am I saying then? Do miracles exist today? Yeah. Folks, God still does miracles. God still rolls away stones. God still does his perfect work. But you know where we see miracles more? We see miracles more in places where the gospel is is moving through for the first time. When I went to the Amazon River Basin and and visited the jungle pastors in the middle of the jungle, the the miracles that were taking place down there was just like stepping into the book of Acts. Well, keep in mind, when when we talk about that, there's 30 miracles in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts took 30 years. That's a miracle a year. But nonetheless, we see those same kind of things happening in those places as the Lord is authenticating the word. As the Lord is authenticating the truth. But as we grow, folks, listen, as we grow with the Lord, as we draw near to him, what does he tell us to do? Does he tell us to be looking for signs? I think he tells us to be listening for sounds. What sound? Trump of God. We're listening for Jesus Christ. What does the Bible tell us about signs and wonders? Who else does them? Satan can do them, right? Now, what does that mean? Miracles, I knew miracles were bad. Satan does them. No. What do you counterfeit? Do you counterfeit the fake or the real? If I was to hand you a counterfeit $3 bill, are you going to give me change? Why? It looks like a regular bill. It's $3 bill. You never seen one of those before? No. If you counterfeit something, you counterfeit something that's real. That's what Satan does. Lying signs and wonders. Satan's going to counterfeit what is real so that people who are looking for the miracle and not paying attention to the message can be drawn away. The Bible says that the Lord's going to lead or, or, or that many people will fall astray following lying signs and wonders. Why? Because they take the, the miracle, they take the outpouring of power and they, they don't care about the message. Folks, it was actually spoken by, by a person in the, in the uh, charismatic movement when there are certain moves of the Spirit going through the church. 
that he said, I don't care whether this is from Satan or from God, at least something is happening. Now, I got a problem with that because I care where it's coming from. It matters. How do we know where something's coming from? And as we continue to study the gifts, and we'll be, we'll be stopping where we're at tonight or today, and we'll pick it up next week, probably finish the whole chapter next week. You got faith, right? The Lord's going to give us a gift of faith, and we're going to conquer the obstacle. But listen, as we look at that, when we look at the gifts of the Spirit, here's how we stay in a position where we don't get all caught up in the extremes. If we see the gift of the Spirit that we're looking at, the energy, the operation, the ministry, if we see it on the pages of Scripture, then we're pretty safe. If we see it in the book of Acts, if we see it in the life of Jesus, if we see it in the lives of the disciples, we are on pretty solid ground. Folks, as soon as we step off the pages of Scripture and we begin to follow our emotions, how we feel, what we think, can I be deceived? Yeah. So what is our anchor? The Word of God. What does the Word of God say about it? We don't have to be afraid of it, right? We discussed last time. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one except by the Spirit of God can call Jesus Lord. So if you can call Jesus your Lord, you don't have to worry about, about somehow something taking over your body and doing something wrong. But everything that we do concerning the gifts of the energies of the Spirit need to follow the Word. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are the primary scriptures dealing with how the gifts ought to be utilized within the body. And we're only in chapter 12, and I can't seem to get all the way to verse 20 yet. So we're going to get there. But folks, I want to take our time and really take a look at what the gifts are and what those gifts are all about. But this morning we have an opportunity, and, I, and, and I'm glad we have this opportunity to, to really enjoy the Lord's Supper. And as we take a look at the Lord's Supper, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 laid it out for us. We studied through it and, and went through it together. But listen, guys, I told you when we began, some folks never enter into the fullness of the Spirit, the fullness of what God has for them. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, with most of those people coming to the promised land, God was not well pleased. How many survived? Two out of two million. That's not good numbers. What is it that's holding us back? What is keeping us from experiencing all that God has for us? For some of us, it'll be fear. But do we need to be afraid of what God wants to give you? No, God only gives good things to his children. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? He only is going to give good things. He's only going to give good things. But what else? Guys, sometimes we hide behind a mask of Christianity that I'm okay. I'm okay. It's Sunday morning. I pull my mask out the drawer. I put it on and I go to church. Everything's good. Everything's fine. But in the reality of our Christian walk, it's more than that, isn't it? Doesn't God call us to, to being real? 
The Lord tells us, hey, if you're struggling with the sin, confess it to a brother or confess it to a sister. Pray about it and be set free. That's what, the, that's what the word calls us to do. But we live in that fear. We live in that place where we're afraid to experience everything that God wants to do in our life. And, and in that fear, we, we hold back. We hide. We, we are satisfied with the status quo. And don't be satisfied. There is so much more that God has for you. There's so much more that God has for me. Hey, don't think that God doesn't deal with me on issues. Hey, I'm just like you. God's dealing with me on things too. There are weights I need to cast aside. He's calling me to be real. He's calling me not be afraid to go to my brother and and confess issues in my life and have prayer together and, and be strengthened. So that I can move forward and experience all that the Lord has for us. So this morning we're going to close with the, 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 the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. We're going to close with the remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. You remember that Jesus held up the bread on that day and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Why is that body broken? Isaiah chapter 61 says, he was broken that he might. Bind us together. That he might heal. That he might unify. He took the cup and he said, This cup is my blood shed for you. The new covenant of my blood. That new promise saved by grace through faith. Right here in the shedding of my blood. Why? So that we might know forgiveness and be set free. So that we might step out and realize we're not to be chained to this world we're not to be chained to our failures we're not to be chained to any of those things but to be cut loose to experience the reality of what god has for us we don't need to be afraid we just need to remember who jesus is and what he's done for us amen amen Amen. well as we have the worship